What is going on, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of Orange Slices. We are your hosts, Heath Pierce, Mark McKenzie. Mark, still going, huh? The season's still going for you. Still, still going. going. Two matches left, man. We're almost, we're almost to, to, the, to that end. You know, you can see it in sight, but you know you got two like milestones left that you have to, you have to like break through. Just, just absolutely destroy these teams, and then you, get, you know, you get a little holiday. So yeah, I saw you got uh, team of the week, my guy, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And it looked like a three back line, so you were like the one center back they gave love to, or maybe it was all center backs. When they do three backs, they always yeah, give them it's center always backs. Center but either backs. way, no, no full back yeah. or outside. What is it? Outside back love, full back love. What do you, what do you say? Yeah, I don't know. yeah. You can't say outside back. People make fun of you for saying outside back, which we'll find <laughs> out. You know, I mentioned later in the, in the episode. But this week's guest is a former former roommate of mine. We went through a lot of trials and tribulations on the field together. Obviously, he was uh, more important for me during my period than I probably was for him because he had a lot of periods. Uh, but it's Tim Howard. He's, he's a fantastic guy and and uh, a really fun conversation. Yeah, no, he's... Look, I was... I want to go back to my age. I was... Uh, oh, gosh, here we go. I was, I was, I was six months old when Tim started playing Listen, professionally. Man, you know, Tim, he, he's played at some big clubs. You know, he's played in the national team for a while. I was young. You know, I was just a young, young guppy coming up in the youth football ranks. But I will say with Tim, and it came out of nowhere to me at the time. I think I was in college uh, when he went to Manchester United. Could you imagine a player now signing at a Manchester United? How big of a deal that would be at the time? It it broke through into mass media, which soccer had zero percentage of. Like you couldn't get any sort of attention around soccer. So his move for for man to Manchester United. Was I inspired? What I think was a, a was like a, an entire generation of people because you know we had youth players at Manchester United, Giuseppe Rossi, Kenny mm-hmm. Cooper, these guys. We had a lot of guys around some of the bigger clubs, Frankie Simic and Danny Carbassian were at Arsenal. But like a guy who transferred, like got bought as a young player to go to the biggest club. It was yeah. the biggest club in the world. I think it had Fabian Barthez there uh, yeah. as well during during his time there. It, you know, it's it, it inspired a, a, a huge generation pre-social media and pre-whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, yeah. Now now it's, we got guys all over, but but to do that before was the thing, you know, that's, a, 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 mm-hmm. a, was, I forget, I don't even know the term, like a, not a trendsetter, but a, a, a pioneer. Yeah, pioneer before, you know, pioneers. So credit to him, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trendsetters, pioneers, pretty much the, nah, done. pretty much the yeah. same word. I mean, no, 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 no. A pioneer no, can't be. Not. Yeah, because I mean, I guess a pioneer. Yeah, because if you're pioneering west, right, the Oregon Trail, you'd be setting the trend to head. Okay, west, so yeah, so you know, you'd be like, hey, you should head west. I don't know how I'm gonna get there, but once I get there, you're gonna like what I have in store for you. You're gonna want to go. So maybe they are synonymous. All right, cool. So yeah, pioneer, trendsetter, yeah. boom, there it is. I just dropped some knowledge. For well, you before we. Yeah, <laughs> before we jumped in, before we jump into the episode, Mark, are you guys all but guaranteed Champions League qualifying spot, right? Yeah, like yeah. Yearly? So if we win our next match, we secure, yeah, we secure uh, Champions League qualification, and then it's hoping Bruges lose to Anderlecht, you know. So that's the the big what if, but ultimately it's it's on us. So we just got to win our next match, and then yeah, handle business from there. Ooh, I like it. I like it. And then you get to go back to the U.S. for a bit, right? Yeah. I mean, look, we got. What is it? Our season starts July 23. Oh, we have national team stuff coming up too. So still waiting on that as well. So mm-hmm. we'll find out about that. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully. All right. I like it. Busy summer. Well, uh, without further ado, here is our conversation with Tim Howard.
All right, so let's welcome in our latest guest, FA Cup, League Cup, Community Shield winner with Manchester United, two-time Gold Cup winner, three-time MLS All-Star, three-time CONCACAF Gold uh, Goalkeeper of the Year, and has 121 caps with the U.S. Men's National Team. Tim Howard, what is going Jesus. on, man? I didn't, even know, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you? I can't complain. I can't complain. Uh, obviously, Mark and I have this podcast called Orange Slices, and it's about sort of bringing the past, present, and future of the national team together. Obviously, you've been through a number of generations. You know, mine was mine was shorter, but you went through what I think were sort of generational shifts through your window. I mean, obviously, 121 caps. You're going to be going through some uh, long periods of time. I guess for you, just off the top, what what is your sort of take of where things are in the national team? right now as a whole, just the federation as a whole? I'm not sure, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, you know, in, in regards to, you know, I think the federation is in a good place. Uh, don't, get, don't get that part of it wrong. You know, I think that, um, you know, both the men's and women's programs are flourishing. Uh, I think that, you know, obviously in regards to development in our country, I think, look, I think, I think development in American soccer isn't very good. Uh, I don't think it. I don't think it ever has been very good, right? Going, the, you know, the three of us and the the system doesn't operate in a in, in a way that allows for young soccer players to develop. There's going to be a bunch of people that are going to scoff at that. Go, no way! I can tell you, I'm an expert at this because I lived it. I'm now a soccer dad. I had, I was, I was raised by a soccer mom. I've lived in Europe, so I've seen it all. Uh, we don't develop our our, our players uh, at at any type of good rate. And so that part is lacking. That needs that needs help. In terms of you know where our, where our national teams are, look they're in a, they they seem to be in a very healthy place. Now on a, on a competition level, you know with 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 big tournaments coming up, that's uh, it's a different question. I'm sure you'll ask it. And uh, look, Mark's been quiet from the start. So you're making him nervous. That's that's why I know we got a good guest on because he's he's been quiet so far. We didn't see you on the, the on the NBC broadcast yesterday, but what were your, you you've obviously scored a goal. What do you think of Allison's goal? Obviously, take the Liverpool part out of it, but but uh, what yeah. what do you think of that oh, for, for goalkeeper showing up? I've seen a yeah. lot. <laughs> I've seen what there's six goalkeepers that score in the Premier League. I mean, that's far away the best goal. <laughs> you know, I've seen I've seen top level strikers who can't snap a header like that into the corner. It was brilliant, and uh, you know his father passing um, was obviously has weighed heavy on his life and 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 um, how how he's operated on a on a daily basis. Clearly, that would rock anybody. I also think when I look at the heights that that Liverpool team reached last year, and he's a world class goalkeeper for me, top three in the world currently, and. He's had to play in front of 18,000 different mix and match back fours and all the center halves are, are injured. <laughs> if that was me, <laughs> I'd be I'd be moaning and yelling and throwing my hands up. He hasn't done that. He hasn't done it. He's been absolutely amazing. He has marshaled that back line. His performances haven't suffered. Okay, there's been a few mistakes here and there, but that's going to happen when you, your back line is compromised. And he's showed up week in and week out, never said a word. It's just been brilliant. It's the saves that he makes, and then for that to happen, like almost couldn't happen to a better guy, kind of thing. I like that. I like that. And and so you know, what's it been like for you broadcasting your first first full year with NBC? Mark obviously is early in his career, but has chosen to sort of start to build his voice and his brand around you know develop developing who he is and what he wants to say. 
was that something that you developed during your playing career? And and what's it been like now transitioning into that as as one of the many full time things you do? Well, I think there's a there's a level of you know what we do in our playing careers in terms of always having to be in in front of the camera, always having to answer questions, always having to have some sort of media savvy. Some players have more of it than others. Some players don't have it at all. And so I use as much experience as I can. That being said, when you go into you know working for a company like NBC and the enormity of this of the shows that get produced it it's daunting it's a learning experience it's you know taking rep 1 and then hopefully by the time you get to rep 100 or 1000 you're just you keep climbing and getting better and better and so I'm lucky I'm lucky to have a really good produ- production team and a really good uh you know team of talent around me that just make me better yeah so Let's let's tap into to, to your youth a little bit. You know, uh, never played college ball. Um, grew up in Jersey. Um, so where where in that in that mix did did you feel did you really get noticed as, as a footballer? Because for me, it was probably wasn't until I was like about ten or eleven years old that it was that it, that it really came came to the forefront. Like, oh, you could play. Yeah. Well, look I, again. It goes back to it goes back to to. How I how I mentioned before earlier, but I just look. I don't think that you know we we develop players in this country, and then I also think that um, uh, coaches who are meant to identify talent, I don't think are at a very high level in terms of um, you know seeking out the talent that's that's unearthed. And what what I mean by that is, look, I was always going to get noticed. You know, um, I was a, I was an exceptional athlete at nine ten years old, so. Um, yeah, you know, God, I hope that no one takes that arrogantly. That's just, you know, matter of fact, I was playing in, you know, U6s and then I could play against U9s and then I was playing, you know, U10s and I could play against U15s. I just, that was, I was never not going to get noticed, if that makes sense, right? So the the kids who are who are extremely talented and extremely athletic, they're just going to catch the eye and that's just going to ha- be how it is. And so, you know, I was lucky in that regard to be able to have that talent. And every time I tried out for a team, I was on the team. And so, um you know, for me, my, my pathway wasn't this like, oh, shucks, I got cut from a team and I got a chip on my shoulder and I'm going to do it. Right. Like that's not that that wasn't where my hurdles were. I like that. Speaking of athleticism, just so we can get it over with real quick. <laughs> Tim, this guy continues to think that he's faster than me. He can jump higher than me. And I just can you at least give me some support on on a few of the, you know, uh, I guess physical attributes that I had to my game. So Mark, you know, Mark can just hear it. You know, you, you, at least you were my roommate for a bit. You know, we used to do these jump ball challenges on the field, all kinds of stuff like that, that were just pure, uh, sh- like shows of, of athletic prowess. Yeah. The two of us. I mean, look, I'm not sure you ever won. You might've won one jump ball. You <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I'm going right. to get, I'm going to go on record and, think, and say Mark probably has, you know, a lot of categories. What, what, what category do you think you're, you're tipping the scale at? This is terrible. Listen. Like the whole reason I'm trying to bring my generation on is for some support and I'm not getting it. Speed, speed, vertical jump. I mean, some of these are are written in some books somewhere that people were documenting that I'm trying to dig up from U.S. soccer so that Mark can just see it and and at least have a bar that he wants to strive. Honestly, to, honestly, you know? we need to start putting I'm going to talk to Matt because we need to start getting video on here so we can throw in clips. Because I'm tired of this. We need, yeah, we, need, we, need, sure. we need physical evidence here because this is all he wants to hold over my head is that he, oh, I can jump higher than me. I can jump, I can run faster. That's all he's got. That's all he's got right now. 
<laughs> that's all I got. It's all, it's all I ever had. It's all I ever had is be like, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a shit training session. Tim, let's do some pitfalls <laughs> over on the side so I can, you know, try to try to win a a little micro game to feel better about myself. Uh, th- did you did you play? I'm assuming you played a, a whole bunch of other yeah, sports, right? Played basketball uh, growing up, man. You know, I'm from Jersey. It's in our blood. So played against some really good athletes around that time. Jay Williams, mm-hmm. who went on to Duke and 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 the Bulls, and now works at ESPN. So. Um, he was a star in that, in, in our show. Heath, could you hoop? Nah, mm-hmm. I was too, I, I was actually literally too fast. Uh, this guy, this, like, I, I, this I, when guy. I was like 10, 11 years old, I'd get on these breakaways and I'd get to that backboard and I'd just bounce it off the backboard and <laughs> shoot back. They'd be on a fast break the other way. Every single time I could not get to the hoop and like, then kind of slow it down, have some control. And at, at a certain point, you know, I mean, and then also there was a gap and then, you know, freshman year, you know, my last week of freshman year when I started Duncan, uh, it was just a big moment, but that was all, that was all I had. It was like the kids at the park had seen me dunk on the 10 footers, but then you give me a ball and make me do something else with it. And it was like, no, nah, it was like, you think, you think when I was left footed growing up and they were like, force him to his right, you should see me with a basketball in my hands when they were just like, I'm just going to cut off this way. And you're just going to give me, you're going to put the ball in my hand. So no, that's the, that's the long answer to your question, Mark. Amazing. Mark, did you yeah, of course, bro. Like, yeah. of course. It was like, in New York, is basketball is like number one. So, you know, because of my dad, football came into the picture. But yeah, man, I was... Uh, Were you good, though? Un- yeah, unlike you, I could actually have the control to, to score on a fast break. You know, yeah, but you're more like games. a you're more like a Steve Nash type. You need the fundamentals I'm, to I'm a, I'm to a, really I'm be good at anything because I I had that 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 like you you trying to harness that athletic ability was really hard for me. But you gotta develop those if you want to compete. You know, you're a funny guy. He you know, yeah. Yeah, funny guy. Anyway, so Tim, um, what positions did you play? Were you always a goalkeeper? I you know up until I was like 12, I would play like a half in goal and a half on the field, and I I. I not that I thought that I had a chance of goalkeeping because you didn't think like that then. I just really liked it. It was fun and something different to be kind of like a hero at a young age. And like, obviously teams were, you know, uh, different levels of, of, of competitive, but I played until I played goalkeeper until I was around that age. Did you play multiple positions growing up? Yeah. I mean, I think you always, you always want to play the position that like you don't actually play in. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I put on, you know, growing up at our age, you had high school team, club team, ODP, you know, so you play on all these different teams. So yeah, I, there was there was times where I played in the midfield and played striker. Obviously, when the game was on, it was serious. I was in goal. But yeah, I'd come out. I'd come out at halftime, or depending on my high school team, I would just play out in midfield somewhere. So like, yeah, it was. Of course, like everybody else, I wanted to score goals. It's the glory position. Like, who doesn't want to score goals? Like, yeah, who does not want to score goals? Did you ever consider college as an option for you? Obviously, your 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 journey was a little bit different than most people at that time. Um, what was college an option for you? Yeah, you know, are you are you are you are you going to school now, or no. did, have you had any plan to go back and do anything? Not anymore. No, I you know, college was an option for me. Like every high school kid, I, I weighed up those options and, and went down that road a little bit and spoke to some schools and obviously received letters to my house. But um, it was probably my junior year. I, I was pretty set on the fact that I was going to you know, enter into the league. And at the time, um, there was a program called uh, Prep 40 and Prep 40, excuse me. And, um, you know, took the, they took the 40 top 40 kids around the country, put them in their in their home, you know, the MLS home cities and developed them at that point. That was kind of the 
developmental route at, at that stage. It, it, it morphed into Generation Adidas and what we know now as homegrown, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I was pretty certain I was going to sign with the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars at the time, which are now Red Bull. Um, and so, yeah, I went down the road of, of look, talking to some colleges, but it was pretty certain, um, you know, before my senior year that I was going to do that. Was that a huge risk for your family? Like at, at the time, was it like, uh, I mean, now there's a little more infrastructure, right? You got a, You got a first team, you got a reserve team, you've got other things you can do. You've got these college scholarships for players now that sort of cover the basis. And back then we saw more failure than success with guys that would kind of eliminate that, the risk to reward. Cause that was all the conversation, right? When we were growing up, which is like, dude, you give up that scholarship. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, we had, yeah, look, there was that discussion, but again, because you didn't have the, the knowledge of what we, what we you have today. Like if you, you know, if you have an agent now, they're going to put all those things in place. Right. Uh, whereas back then it was like, look, you think you can make it, go, go try and make it. And I, I believed in it. And my, my family believed that that was the right path. You know, um, so we weren't. There wasn't much of a, there wasn't much of a drawback in terms of like, hey, this is like dangerous. We we this is risky. There wasn't really much risk, if I'm being honest. I was on the other side of it, where like this was like when we looked at the scales and what tilted it, it was like you got to go, got to go pro and figure it out, and you know you'll make it. So you go pro in this time, right? What when you first when you first entered the league? Um, what was that experience like? Because it was different than it is now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like with with travel, with competition, with 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 staying in hotels, whatever it was. You know, how have you kind of? How would you perceive it? You know, today, like yeah, I mean, you know, the, the growth of MLS has just been fabulous. We've all seen it, and it's just something to um, you know to be amazed at. And and again, credit to the ownership and the, and the league and everybody, all the players. And it's it's interesting because back then it was. You know, there's one training kit. It's a cotton T-shirt. You know, it's a it was a cotton Nike shirt with the logo on it. With the dry fit hadn't come into play yet. You know, that's how old I am. And and so, um, you know, there wasn't training grounds. There was one stadium about to be built, which was Columbus Crew Stadium. You know, that hadn't even been built yet. There was still Columbus Crew was still playing at the the Horseshoe at the you know Ohio State University. So there wasn't soccer specific stadiums. There wasn't supporters groups. There there weren't any of these things. Um, that were actually recognized. And so it was, yeah, it, it was some primitive stuff those early days, you know. But again, you don't know any better. As a, as a 17, 18-year-old, you're like, you know, I'm a, prof- I'm a professional athlete and I have a check coming into my account every week. Like, that was amazing to me, you know. And then my sights were obviously set on greater greater things in terms of national team and, uh, you know, playing for, for the Metro Stars in terms of playing for the first team and playing in Europe. And so – you know, I was focused on on that and getting better, but I was also you, you have to remember that, you know, in New York because New York was one of the premier franchises, we had a bunch of former and current national U.S. national team players. So as much as we say like, oh, it was a little bit primitive, you're talking about like Thomas Dooley, Tab Ramos, Alexi Lalas, Tony Miola. You you're having like massive, massive American stars that I'm getting to train with as a 17 year old. So it never ever felt like, oh, this isn't the big time. This was the actual big time. Yeah. And so, you know, Mark obviously just made a move, got transferred to, to, to Genk. A lot of that period, most of the rumors were around him moving to Celtic and some other clubs. And he's going through that experience now, got there, was starting, kind of hit, 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 kind of was going through the, just the, the trials and tribulations of being at a club and, and having less control than he did in the club where he was in an academy system and, and whatnot. How did the United move come together for you and, and, 
I guess, was it something, was it a drawn out process or was it like this thing that happened and it was moving quick and, and yeah, like walk us through what, what that process or journey was like for you. Well, yeah, it was, I mean, look, all these years later, that was 2003, roughly around about, around about January, 2003, when those rumors started and I spoke to their goalkeeper coach on the phone and, you know, the story is well documented and it just, they, they, they liked me. Heaven knows why all these years later, but they saw something in me. They wanted to buy me. And, you know, at that point, Manchester United is the biggest club in the world. And so, and still are. And so you're just like, I don't know, you, you, they, they get what they want. Right. So there's no like, well, what's next that they just call you and tell you, you know, that like, this is where you're going to be and here's how it's going to go down. And all right. You know, like I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm barely starting for New York Metro stars. And I, you know, it's been a starter for a year or so, a year or two. And next thing you know, boom, I'm in, I'm in Manchester. And so how it came about is almost, it, it sounds so simplistic, but it really was like, they, they, they want something, they have the money, they go after it and then it's done. And then that, that's how it works. And so uh, kind of crazy to that their preseason was in the, the U S. And so I went over, signed a contract, came back, met him in the, in, I think it was Portland over at, at, on the Nike campus. And, Played my first game a few weeks later in my home stadium at, against Juventus, which was insane. Was it like a, a, a culture side for you when you step into a locker room with, with these guys, you know, and it's like this American kid coming from Jersey. Yeah. You know, now, I'm, now I'm stepping into, you know, one of the big, if not the biggest club in the world. Everybody everybody knows, oh. man, you, if, if you don't like man, you, you know, man, you still. <laughs> well, massive culture shock. Um, obviously, I knew the players going into it, like their their household. And, and, you know, it just... I was very con- my, it, the, my my head's spinning. You're trying to take all this information on board. You're trying to figure out you know, who who's who and the hierarchy of things within the, within the club. And it's all you could do to get by is keep your mouth shut and work hard. And that's all I kind of you know knew how to do. It wasn't just like it wasn't social media at the time. It was like put your training gear on, shut up, and you know you're a goalkeeper. Dive around, save balls. When you get it, give it to the guy who you know who's asking for it. And it was like uh, again, I know that sounds simplistic, but it, it, it was all I could do to keep my head above water was was just get out there and grind and figure out a way. You know, it was literally running on fumes. It was, you know, I had I had no barometer of how to act, how to talk, how to play at that level. I was just figuring it out on the fly. That's crazy. And and so when you first went, right, you're going from a Metro Star salary to a Manchester United salary. And you get into Manchester United, you go through times of starting, not starting, these types of things. How do you? How did you manage all of that, right? How did you manage accumulating wealth overnight, right? It's almost like I I I equate that to. Uh, how old were you when you went there? Twenty three. Twenty three. So like essentially, you're still very young, right? Yeah. You're 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 mature. You're overly matured in a lot of ways as a professional because you're you're forced to. But how did you start to one build a team around you that you could trust, or 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 I guess how did you manage all of that? Because these are life changing events that no one can be like. Hey, so here's the blue book for that, and yeah. here's how you're going to handle all these these things. You know? Yeah. Listen, I you bring up a great point. I, I think I think youth, fame, and money is a horrific concoction. <clears throat> you know, I think it's 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 one that a lot of people don't make it out of. You know, I had a pretty humble upbringing. A single mom who worked two jobs. I I, I always understood the value of a dollar, and so you know, for me, it wasn't about how much of it I can waste. You know, I I, I also had a a fantastic agent who was also a mentor. And so there was just, there was a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people, a few people who were really close to me that were, you know, as, as we, as I accumulated this money, it was, we, we basically started 
we started long term and then worked our way back. So it was just about taking care of long term stuff, you know, uh, children's college funds and um, you know assets that would appreciate in- instead of depreciate, and just all these small things. It, that's not to say I didn't buy nice things, but it was all very it was on it was on a scale. And so uh, I'm, I'm thank look. Sometimes I'm thankful that I'm that I'm lucky. You know, like I had good people in place even before I picked them myself, if that makes sense. And so, um, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, youth, fame and money is just a terrible concoction. And, uh, you know, people get it wrong. And I I was thankful that I I was raised well enough that I didn't have a bunch of leeches around me trying to like siphon money out. And I was able to do it in the right way. And like, like I said, you also have to remember there was there was a little bit of an element of this. Like I went from not having a lot. You know, I was renting a $400 apartment in Kearney, New Jersey. That was like one bedroom. And, you know, I, go, I show up to Manchester United and they give me a Mercedes Benz and a house, you know, and like, okay, yeah, I'm renting it, but like, it's, it's more than I ever had in my life. So it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, now I got to buy something better. I was, I was living a lap of luxury and it was like, you know, everything was kind of given to me on that scale. And that's, what's great about the Premier League and how, how they operate. It's amazing. Nice. And so, you know, for you, as you started to go through it, right, um, at United before finding your eventual home at, at Everton for as long as you did and as successful as you were there, you know, I, I talk about this with Mark now, right? When I, even when I, I went to, I, I started my career in 2005 and it was, it was still, you had, I had high speed internet, but it, I still, it was still calling cards and it wasn't like, you know, <laughs> if I wanted to Skype, it was, I was paying, you had to put this thing on Skype and pay for all this thing. Like you couldn't communicate. And yeah. so at times you just sort of had to, well, one, I felt like I had, I was forced to like immerse myself in the community more to find my own resources around me that could support me or I could support as well. But at the same time, felt very alone at times because yeah. I wasn't as connected. What What was that like for you? Did you do you you had a young family yeah. right when you when when you were there? Did you feel like you had the network and the resources around you? Did Did it feel intimidating and isolated? Because I, you know, I li- I went in places where people would. Mostly if they recognize you didn't really care all that much, but sure. you couldn't, you, you know, good and bad times, you, your life was very, yeah. very private or had to be because you were in the spotlight so much. I agree with you on that. You know, in terms of like internet and dial up and, and you know, no social media and all that kind of stuff. I was able to kind of, I, I just recently gotten married, um, you know, starting a young family. So that kind of had my attention, which was great. And the, I don't think anyone is ever ready for... The, the the fame and the accolades and the attention. I think people, some people seek it, certainly now, right? But that doesn't mean they're ready for it. They want it, but they don't mean they're ready for it. And so from my end, it was just kind of like, it was so new and it was almost frightening. The good and the bad, as I said, the good, I mean, people praise you, you walk out of dinner thinking, I'm, I'm the business, I'm the best Manchester United goalkeeper in a long time, you know? The paper said it. And then they tear you down and you're like, you think you're the worst thing ever and you're not going to be able to catch another ball and you're not going to be able to make another save. And so emotionally, there are these massive highs and then these massive lows. And so it's it, it's very difficult. It's a lonely place. You know, it's a lonely place. And I think it's why you also see a lot of people kind of crumble from that. They they they, they just can't handle it. You know, they, they can't handle – they don't have enough support system around them or they're not strong enough or mentally and physically to, to – plow through it. And, and I think you just have to, for me, I was just trying to, I found a level, again, I told about my upbringing, I just found this kind of level of like making sure I was my harshest critic because people say that as like a tagline, 
But I think what happens is when you're your when you're your harshest critic, what you end up doing is is you start to eliminate all the other voices, right? You don't look to the people that tell you you're great. You don't listen to the people to, who tell you you're terrible. Like you you have found a way to trust yourself to be so hard on yourself that no one else is going to ever match that. That's I, f- I think that's that's so interesting because in the day and age of social media and coming up as a young player now, it's like everywhere you go, you can't get away from it. Like you, you turn on the Instagram. Okay, well, what's this guy doing? What's this guy doing? Oh, what's the paper? What is this out to say about, you know? And even when you're not even looking for it, a lot of times you're whining, you're coming across something and then you may find yourself scrolling through it and scrolling through it. And now you're in this hole and mentally you don't think it takes a toll on you. But those kind of things are subconsciously eating away, you know, and, and they carry on to the training pitch. And now when you go into the match day pitch and it's like, oh, well, you know, the paper said I can't even pass my left foot. So, yeah, can I actually pass, you know, and, and it's all these things, you know, and I've spoken about it with Heath before, but like the the differences in the time, you know, before social media was really prevalent um, and, and how now it's it's almost like a, something innate, you know, in you as a young player where, you want to be in the spotlight, but are you ready to be in the spotlight? You know, and a lot of guys, even guys I've come up with, uh, haven't been prepared for it. You know, I've gotten lost in lost in the the whirlwind of, of yeah. professional football. So yeah, or, or someone you know, I I'd like to take advice from my elders. And when I was you know kind of going through a lot of it, you know, someone someone close to me said, "Everybody wants to be the king, but few want to wear the crown." And I just remember sitting there like floored at that, thinking, "Holy cow, that makes so much sense to me." You know, and I've carried it with me through my career and post playing and everything else. And it's true. And I think with, when it comes to the social media aspect of it, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And so what we do is we don't feel good about ourselves. We have a bad game. And so we, we start to look at the likes and we start to look at the people who said I, I did really well. And we start to engage that that way, which is also dangerous because I, again, I talk about being your own harshest critic. Like we shouldn't have to find people who say really nice things about us because it makes us feel good. We should actually, break down if we're talking about our profession break down hey what am i what am i not doing right right and then try and correct that and work towards it you know and so yeah it becomes becomes very surface level in terms of in terms of gratification what was your life like on the field or off at everton that was different than united you know it's it's obviously united's still a huge club but uh, you know you you made i would say that the the bulk of your uh, premier league success in terms of your personal success and the quality and the respect that you got as a goalkeeper at Everton, what was different? Was it the club? Was it the culture? Was it the timing? Was it the maturity that you got as a player developing or was it all those things? Well, it was, it was all those things, but more specifically, look, Everton is a club that is a, is a family club. It's not this, um, you know, at the time it wasn't this like global conglomerate, you know, it was very much a down home mom and pop type type of club where, it was the people of the streets in the streets that were that were coming to the games. They they were, you know, what it wasn't this. As I said, you know, it wasn't tourists from abroad coming to watch a game <clears throat> because they bought a shirt one time. These were like proper people that lived, you know, in Liverpool. And so it was a family club, and, and the club inside um, reflected that. And so it felt home to me. I mean, like I said, I, I, you know, feeling like I was a roll my sleeves up, get to work kind of guy. That's that's the type of people that are at Everton. And so I, I felt like right from day one, it was home. I think from a development standpoint, like I always said, like I went to Manchester United as a very raw young goalkeeper, but I had to get better and I had to develop. Whether that development was going to take place or not at Manchester United was, had yet to be seen. And obviously it didn't after three years I left. But when I went to Everton and David Moyes was my manager, you know, he basically 
he basically said, here are the keys to the car. And, and they did that through his words. They did that through, you know, the significance in my contract in terms of how they, how they were my bonus structure. And so I knew I was going to, you know, basically I was going to play 40 games that following season. You know, I was going to, I was going to play every match. And so I didn't go into it like, Oh, if I make a mistake, then I'm going to be out. And then, and, and when you do that as a player, you, you, you guys know, you don't care if the team wins or loses. You're just like, yo, how, how can I, as long as I play well today. Right. And so, uh, you know, that went out the window and I became this, this, you know, leader at the back and I was coming from Manchester United, a big reputation. And so a lot of these things allowed me to puff my chest out and feel like this was my club. And, um, you know, like I said, I went on loan to Everton. I was never going anywhere else. I was never going back. Like there wasn't like, I'm going to go on loan and go back. Like this was the day I stepped foot at Everton. I knew that was my home. Like, and so for me, it was, it was kind of easy to settle in. Was when you got to Everton, was there anybody you took under your wing? Because I know for me as a young player, you step into a new locker room, like, yeah, I'm here in Gank now, and mm-hmm. you're adapting, you're, you're you're coming up, and you're trying to look for somebody to connect with. You're like, you know, who who can I connect with on, on whether it be a personal level or whatever it is? You're just trying to establish that connection. Um, was there anybody you took under your wing or took you under their wing? I mean, at the, yeah, the older, very so. much so. Very much so. I mean, <clears throat> when I went there, Phil Neville, uh, who was at Manchester United with me, who I who I knew for a couple of years, had went to Everton, and so right straight away, I, I had that connection with him. But to be honest with you, as soon as I stepped foot at the club, there were a couple of of Evertonians. There were there was a few mm-hmm. players there who were born and bred in the streets of Liverpool, grew up, you know, supporting the club in the youth teams, and I, I, I watched them and I gravitated towards them to just kind of see. You know, I was this American kid that come from Manchester United, and so I was like, you know, I wanted to know how how proper Evertonians walked and talked and how they acted, and and I try, I wanted to mimic that. You know, I wanted to basically take that on board because I knew, like I said, I knew I was gonna be there for a while. It wasn't like a like a stopgap for me. So, uh, you know, there was Alan Stubbs and Leon Osmond and Tony Hibbert. Those were the proper Evertonians. And Leighton Baines came a year later, and Phil Jagielka came a year later, and so there was just all these guys that I I gravitated towards. Do you think that's changing now, by the way? Do you think that respect for club and history, it's a little bit more of a carousel? Do you think it's, you know, I guess I guess the question I'm asking is how important is that foundation of people who have been through the academies that understand, that grew up idolizing the players on the first team? Sure. Now you idolize, you know, young people, they kind of can jump around. There's less yeah. of this. And again, I can't speak for it. I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in Manchester. I didn't grow up anywhere where I could or or, or and I didn't live in places where I could see the club culture. But do you think that that club culture is shifting now um, with just the globalization of the sport? Yeah. yeah, the globalization of the sport, you know, the monetization of the sport is just a, <clears throat> it's become a business. You know, very few people have this this draw to a club like where, where like they bleed that color. Right. Like it's they become mercenaries. And that's part of what the sport has become. That's I mean, in a way it's okay. I mean, you can't get away from it too much. I think, look, the onus then is on a team. I think as you build, as you build new, new squads and you figure out, you still have to, there are going to be players who are going to get the benefit of the doubt in terms of like a contract extension. Cause they're, cause the manager or the, or the chief executive is going to go, you know what? They're not going to play a lot of games next year, but they've been here for seven years and they understand the culture. We've got to have guys like that in the dressing room. It's, you know, about hiring from within. So a guy retires and you put him on the coaching staff as a young coach, just so he can help bridge that gap. So I, look right now, I think, the, you know, the modern player is more comfortable in terms of jumping from team to team and what that looks like. And you're not, you're going to have very, you're going to have a lot less players stink sticking around a team for, for 10 years and plus, but for the most part, you still need to have 
certain players that you can you can bring into your team. And look, you see it you see it at certain clubs. You know, Sergio Aguero came you know came from Atletico Madrid. He's they're going to build a statue outside of Manchester City for him. You know, outside the stadium. So he's someone who's bought into the club. So it can it, it can happen. You just have to manage it differently. I mean, I I admire that. I would, like for me. <clears throat> Of course, yeah, you, it's, you get a period of time to play the game, you know, so you ultimately so you want to make the most out of that, that, that time when you're in it, you know, when you're the guy. Um, but my dad, he, he grew he brought me up watching the, the classic Italian, you know, mm-hmm. Serie A matches and whatnot. So you come up, you look at guys like uh, Maldini, you know, he's a guy mm-hmm. I admire, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then you have like a guy like Totti and you, you look at that and you're like, geez, he spent his entire career there. And you're like, ah, oh, I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. But the game has now changed in a way where it's like, sorry, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you really want to go and, and, and play, you know, Champions League, if you want to go and, you know, do whatever, you know, play at the highest levels and you're going to have to make this jump and you can't stay here. So, yeah, it's, it, it, it's yeah, coming up, my dad, he, he's sad about that. You know, he's sad yeah. about seeing it, but he also understands it. Yeah, I idolize players like that too, you know, Tati's and, and Maldini's and, you know, players who are kind of one club guys, you know, that, that they, they believe for it. But again, it's, it's a, it was, a, it's a different time. I still think you have some of it. It's just not as, it's just not as glamorous anymore. So I still think there are guys out there. Um, but, but again, they're not the ones I could talk about because it is, it's, it's about money. It's about business. It's about moving things forward and, and how you monetize that. So that's what takes the center stage. Fair. Let's, let's move on to, to your national team career. Obviously you came up during an era with, Casey Keller and Brad Friedel, right? Two of what I think are some of the greatest goalkeepers in the world at the time. I mean, that's a pretty daunting view for you as a young player going to Manchester United, but also still knowing that like you can be as a goalkeeper at one of the top clubs in the world, but you still have some of these legends um, that, that you're having to compete with. What was it like, I guess, coming through from 2002 on and and competing for that spot and then and then running with it for as long as you have during a period that I think is the greatest goalkeeping era we've we've ever had and may ever have? Yeah, it's interesting. I looked up to those guys, you know, um, going back to going back to gosh, before yeah, we keep talking about before. Also, so- Tim, Tim, before 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 I let you tell that answer. <laughs> Did you talk with a British accent at all? Like, did you get did because all these guys nah, would come back talking about pairing <laughs> pairing the ball wide and uh, you know Brad Friedel for sure. Like he's full blown yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, accent. But like, did you did you find yourself with with that lingo at all? Did you find I, yourself I, catching not not an English accent? Certainly phrases, you know, phrases yeah. and words, just so you can you can kind of you can kind of gel and mix with the people because you know you start saying like out of bounds, you get made fun of a lot, you know, yeah. 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 With, with your teammates. Oh, yeah. I said outside back and people were like, what is an outside back? You mean a fullback? Yeah, I was like, you know, I played, I play outside back. And I, now when I hear other people say that, I go like, who says outside back? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where like, you have to, you have to figure out how to, how to survive. But no, I look, I looked up to, you know, Casey Keller and Brad Friedel. They were, you know, and, and I got the chance to play with Tony Ola, who, uh, who was also my goalkeeper and I don't, back when I first started with Metro star. So looking up to those guys and, you know, there's a, there's, there's now a saying, you know, you, you, you know, you idolize someone until you have to compete with them and they become your rivals. And that's what I, that's essentially what, what happened with myself and, and Brad Freeland, and Casey Keller was that I looked up to them. They, they had more experience in their, in their pinky toe than I, than I had at the time, but I'm, I obviously see the heights and the, and the standards they set. And I wanted to do it. I was a million miles away from it at the time, but 
that's what goal setting is all about. That's what dreaming is all about. And so, uh, you know, getting an opportunity to be with them, to be in the same national team camps and training camps and all that kind of stuff. And, and competing mostly with Casey, uh, Brad had retired at that, at that stage, but, you know, learning from Casey Keller, seeing what it was like, you know, going to 2006 world cup, obviously I wasn't ever going to play a game, but like being able to see Casey, who I considered a friend or a mentor in these big moments, how did he prepare for a game? What was he like in the locker room when he was tying his shoes and getting ready to walk out the door? You know, trying to take all that stuff on board uh, and still be competitive. And I'm, I'm the most competitive guy there is, you know. And so, yeah, it was, you know, I had Bruce Arena, someone who I adore and love. You know, he was my, my nasty manager twice. And I remember being in England playing for Manchester United and, and having a conversation with him uh, about where I stood in the pecking order. And, and he, he put me in my place, but I was so competitive that I wasn't I wasn't buying anything he was selling. Not that it mattered. He was a manager. So his word. His word was important, but yeah, it's, it's, it was good for me to have those guys ahead of me because I wanted to be better. Yeah. And not to shift away. I, I don't want to shift away from the national team conversations because I, I we, we got more of them, but has goalkeeper, has goalkeeping training uh, changed a lot? It's not a question that I, I, I've, I've ever gotten to ask somebody who's done it with, has the training types, obviously the game has shifted so much, right? Is yeah. Are the demands of a goalkeeper, right? Goalkeepers are, you at least see at the highest level, good with their feet, you know, yeah. need to be good in possession. But as a whole, has the goalkeeping industry changed the way that you train, the way that you prepare? Or I think when you look at a global, the goalkeeper, goalkeeper coaching is just different across the board. I've had Spanish goalkeeper coaches. I've had um, Italian goalkeeper coaches. I've had English, American. So everyone's going to, those differ in terms of training styles. So like, what is there more emphasis on catching or parrying? Is there more, catch, is there more emphasis on, uh, you know, possession? I had a Spanish goalkeeper coach and we spent 40 minutes working on footwork. Right. So, and I was like, Oh, we got to work. We got to do the other stuff too. You know? So like there it's, a, it's a balance depending on what, what country and region your goalkeeper coach comes from. But in terms of the game has moved forward as a goalkeeper, you have to be serviceable with your feet. I don't think you have to be brilliant. I don't think you have to be Neuer or Ederson or Ter Stegen, I think those guys, people like that, are very special. But you have to, you have to be able to uh, be serviceable with your feet. Beyond that, and obviously the three of us can understand this, but people watching and listening, it's not about. Some of it's about technique. How how well I strike the ball inside the foot, outside the foot. More than anything, the game has grown in terms of I as a goalkeeper need to understand angles and tactics, and basically. When the ball comes back to me, yes, I have to be able to physically play it to someone, but I also have to know is my like what position is my fullback in? I need I, I, basically the quarterback, right? It's like an NFL quarterback. When I get the ball, I have three reads, right? So I've got to be able to go through that progression. And so the tactical awareness of, of a goalkeeper has had to be so heightened over the last 10, 15 years. Our, our goalkeepers are in like possessions with us and whatnot. So yeah. it's like they're they're essentially another, we call them like our 12th, our 12th, yeah, our 11th field player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone call it, but again, that's the system we play, and, yeah. and we were technical, you know, base build up out the back and whatnot. Yeah. But the the emphasis, like you said, on the angles and whatnot, that is something that gets overlooked, you know. Yeah. And when you look at a guy like, okay, you look at Edison hit the ball, and it's like, oh wow, he's yeah, he drilled that ball, it's great, great, great. But do you understand that he already went through? Yeah, my Kyle Walker's not open, you know, yeah. and, and now I'm getting pressed from this side here. So I know Sterling is running in behind, you sure. know. So sure. I go so so that's yeah, yeah, from a goalkeeper's perspective, it's I don't think a lot of people get to hear that. No, and it's good. I mean, look, you bring up a to kind of wrap a bow on it, it it's it's just it's it's a progression, as you say, right? Like if Ederson has it and Kyle Walker's on, I can give it to John Stones, but I also have to, like, I've got to be able to know John Stones' next pass or else I can't give it to him. Like if he can't give it to Rodri, 
I'm not giving it to him because he's going to give it back to me. And now it's going to be pressure, right? So, like, there's so much of the game that these goalkeepers need to read now. Heath, tell us about your jersey. I know you. Yeah. I know you yeah. So, <laughs> look, this is a 2009 Confederations Cup final. You, you signed it some, somewhere on that. Do you remember when we were in the hotel and we were all planning trips, right? After two games, because there, it, like mathematically, there wasn't much that we could do, right? We had Brazil, Italy, like, come on. Yeah. Um, and, and so I remember Pam going around table to table being like, hey, like, where are you heading? Uh, it, was, it was me and me and uh, um, I think Charlie Davies were heading to, to Gold Cup. Yeah. And then I think there was only a couple of us going, but, and then we go through, mm-hmm. do you remember just how crazy everyone was going in the meal room after the champagne? Like we we're going to get a semifinal against, yeah. against, uh, against, um, Spain. Mm-hmm. And then obviously to go on to a final, what was that memory like for you? Cause I, I replayed in my head a lot, uh, mm-hmm. as just a huge moment for us soccer, um, obviously up to nil and final, but, but like, yeah. what was that, that, just overall, what do you think that did, if anything, for, for U.S. soccer uh, and the period that we were in? Well, I think that it's funny, right? not because you and I were part of it, but I almost feel like it's one of the biggest moments. Certainly, you know, I don't want to I don't want to oversell. I think it's one it's one of the biggest moments in U.S. soccer history for the men. I almost feel like there needs to be a documentary on it because there was this. You, you just said it. We, we were we were the minnows. We had no business being there. We were like, you know, everybody was going to beat up on us. They did for the first two games, right? We needed an absolute miracle to uh, to get through the group in the third game. We got the miracle. So now it's like we go from going home to going through and our gift for going through was to play the number one team, ranked team in the world, hadn't lost in 36 games, Spain. And so, which would eventually be the World Cup winner the next year. And we beat Spain. Like, we, like, we weren't, like, there. we weren't supposed to beat Spain. This was like, David versus Goliath, we did. Then we play the mighty Brazil, right? In the final, we're up 2 nothing at halftime. We're cruising. Like, we're cruising. This is, like, what are we doing here? This is unheard of. And it's funny, I mean, at the time, we can remember, you know, obviously you and I, just like, well, this, this feels big, and it is big. And, like, this is what, you know, you dream of doing. And then you remove yourself from it. And I think, like, I've lost, you know, I've won a few finals, and I've lost a few finals, right, And in my, in my career. And I just remember thinking how close we were to, like, a major title like th- for us to have won that major title we didn't so it's it's history but that for me was uh you know insane and absurd and mind-blowing and i always talk about that team coached by bob bradley and the individuals we had on it. and that little period not just that particular team but that little period you know it was a bunch of guys who i i'd, I'd go to battle with any day of the week and i'd say listen we, we there's some good teams there's good some good technical teams and physical teams over the years but for that team the the dynamic that we had you know we had pace and we had power up front you had charlie who this was pre-injury was just you know lighting people up and josie and clint dempsey and you know michael bradley and obviously the back we had a bunch of horses in the back and it was incredible times mark just so you know by the way there are some photos of of tim and i from back in the day I know all you. I know all you and your young boys got sleeve tattoos and think you're tight. But our crew used to look so sick when we would leave. Oh, people thought we were like people thought we were boy band. Yeah, we had a band called Trace Palms. People thought that. I mean, we looked tight. We looked tight. Uh, we thought we did. Yeah, you, you draw. I mean, if you look at the outfits now, 
you'll be like, yeah, they don't look that tight. <laughs> at the time, at the time, we were tight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to form your little. Like, you need to form your little clique because I mean, yeah. and, and the, 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 to, not to make too much of a joke of it, that was a that was a family back then. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we talked about this gap and the cultural shifts and change. And I know, Mark, you, you, you're, you, you and all the other young players in the national team right now support each other on social and everybody's in like these little group chats. And I think that's, that's awesome. That's what we had. And that's how we survived, right? All of us would go off to our clubs, do our thing. When you got back together, it was like, it was like a, it was like Christmas day, you know, it was like, you got to see everyone. And there was like, you know, Tim would host, host some people over when we were roommates uh, the first night and, and uh, get together and everybody would catch up. And it was like this, it's really hard to explain because you can't put it into words of what that did for us on the field. But when you step down into qualifying, you step down into these, what feel like war zones, you know, exactly. Like I know where Carlos Bocanegra is going to be all the time. I know where Jay was going to be. I know where Tim was going to be. And I know if they messed up where I needed to be to make that play. And you can't, you can X and O that all you want, but there's that next level of of of, of connection or connective tissue uh, that I felt then that I very rarely felt throughout my club career or, or, or other national teams. Yeah, look, I, I think that you know, and, and again, it's every every generation will go, ah, oh, the new generation, the young kids. That's normal. That's going to happen with us. It's going to happen with you as you get older. You know, I, I think the one the one outstanding fact for me is this. It's opinion, but. I, Trust for me and any team I've ever played on, trust has never been built on the field. Trust has never been built winning a game or losing a game. Trust has always been built on the bus, on the plane, in the hotel, in the locker room, you know, on a night out having dinner. That's where the trust gets built. And so the more time you can spend with people, the more time you can actually like someone. You know, I have to be able to, I've got to be able to go into, you know, a battlefield in the dressing room when things get, you know, flying and everyone's cursing, you know. I got to be able to take that out. I got to be able to go, that guy across the, across the locker room, he loves me. I know he loves me because he asked about my family the other night when I was crying, missing home, whatever. He, he loves me. Now, I know, he's, I know he's yelling at me now, but I understand he cares about me. That, that's where that's built. So it's not built like, it's not built through soccer. It's built through, you know, trust and camaraderie off the field. And so that's, you know, again, that, those are the X factors, as you said, you get down to qualifying. Like, are we the better team? Yeah, but you're also playing against a bunch of guys who, you know, would run through a wall for each other. Are you prepared to suffer the way they are? So that's, that's kind of where that's built. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because that whole trust factor is, is something that, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the foundation. I think for any team, you know, if you're going to be successful and, and move over the, the ledge of being a good team and a great team, you know, yeah, um, for sure. and for, for that group, I mean, you, you went to the 2010 world cup, 2014 mm-hmm. world cup, and you're with this group. Are there any moments you know, because there's like for me, I've been in situations where like embarrassing moments or where that trust is is built, you know, um, and then there's other gritty stories of, yeah, that trust is built from from that period. You know, being at the two World Cups and, and, and being with that group. Are there any moments, you know, that stick out for you, you know, that are embarrassing, funny uh, mm. or, or that really, you know, helped create that glue between you guys? Yeah, I think that. You're right. It's it's about the hard moments. You know, I, I can remember I can remember one specific game, and I won't you know I won't name names. And I, but I, look, this was, we we had you know this current team that we're talking about in 2010. We had one of the greatest nights of our lives. And after the game in the locker room, there was a massive there was a massive bust up. You know, so you're thinking things should be rosy and amazing, and everyone should be happy, and and we weren't. There was there, there was an issue that needed sorting out. And so, you know, just being able to have 
tough conversations, tough moments. Again, as I talked about, being able to love somebody and have and feel like they're your family because you spend so much time with them, but also understand that winning and losing also takes precedence and you have to figure out the balance between the two. And it's never ending. Like you don't shut off. I think when you're with a team, particularly at major tournaments, you don't you don't just shut off. It's like, okay, everything matters. How you show up on time, how you look after each other, how you make sure you're getting treatment and all, all the things that go into it. It's it's constant. How much you're sleeping, making sure you're knocking on someone's door so they're on time. All of these things create an environment that then you hope hope leads to winning if you can do the business on the field. That's awesome. I, and and with regard to like the that battle those battlefield type of stories, is there anyone that you remember? We've been trying to get all all the ex uh, men's national team guys so far to sort of tell everything from you know you have the throwing the bags and getting hit by sure. things to whatever. Sure. Is there one that you felt the most out of body experience where you're like either scared or nervous or like fight or flight mm-hmm. mode? that that you hadn't uh expected before or one that comes to mind that that you know we we're here we we've we've been hearing about you know the phone calls in the middle of the night and fireworks and all that stuff is there one that you experienced that that is hard to 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 get people to understand and unless they were there hitting the head with a bag of piss <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one um no I, I think i think the you know the two that stand out for me were would be the good well, the good—they're both good, but um, you know, one's lighthearted and one's kind of territorial. But you know, we played in Columbus, played Mexico in Columbus. Obviously, we won, and I think it was qualifying for 2010. And I went up for a ball, uh, and I think Rafa Marquez—he tried to take my knee off, and he just absolutely smashed my knee. And I—I I tell you, what, I've never been. Well, I don't think I've ever been in as much pain. And I just remember thinking, "Wow, I've really hurt myself here." And you know, you're just laying there on the ground, and my brother, Big Gooch, I could hear him <laughs> handling things, and he's getting the grips with people, and the rest of the team is getting, I got goosebumps telling a story, and you're like, that's, that, that to me is like, you want to talk about somebody loving, you want to talk about loving another human being? Like, that was like, that's me on the ground, I'd have done it for them, but when, when, when your teammates, when your brothers are doing it for you, you're, you're down on the ground. And they're getting the grips with the Mexican players and shoving them around, and it's it's a surreal moment because you understand that you're in you're in something far bigger than like a soccer game. The score matters, yes, but you're in something far bigger than that. And then, um, you know, one of my crowning moments as a as a player off the field was was in South Africa, and it was uh, I, I, I'm forgetting what game. Well, I, don't know, I lied. It was after the Algeria game. Uh, when we went through in the world in the World Cup, uh, when um, when Landon scored that incredible goal, Bill Clinton who had traveled down with his you know security and everybody else in, in the World Cup delegation party, he was in the dressing room, and Carlos Bogdanger, who was our captain, um, you know it's Bill Clinton for crying out loud, right? And so he uh, he asked the group to be quiet. We're drinking some beers, and he uh, he got everyone's attention. And he spoke very highly of of uh, former President Clinton, and he basically said. We'd be honored if you have a beer with us. And he took his blazer off, gave it to the fella, and cracked a beer open. And you're like, you know, you're just sitting there in this dingy, dusty dressing room with your boys. You, you just qualified for the next round of World Cup drinking beers with Bill Clinton. And it was like, <laughs> you know, that's a story that that's stood with me for forever. That's amazing. By the way, on that on that um, on that Mexico game, I, I I played that game too, and I I have a few printed photos. I should have had them in here with me. There's like a few sort of still frame images in my mind, right? Obviously, the red card. Mm-hmm. The rain was going sideways before the game, yeah. right? It was crazy, yeah. crazy wind. 
it was still a Mexico pro Mexico audience and, uh, in the stadium. And I, there's a few photos that I have where it's Michael Bradley going down for a tackle and it's me going up behind him and it's two defenders next to him and it's Dos Santos on the ball. And it's one of the still shots that I had. It was in the first five minutes of the game because Dos Santos had an early chance that you made a save on. Yeah. And then after that, everybody was like, first challenge, second challenge, third challenge, fourth challenge. And I remember very few things from that game. I mean, obviously, Michael scored too, but 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 I remember this, like that being the thing of like, you get past one, you got to get past the next. You got to yeah. get past the next. And then yeah. you got to get past Tim in goal. Like it was, it was one of those things where it's like, no one was going to be like, if I make a mistake, uh, someone's going to come and clean house. If, and, and, and these photos I'll, I'll send it to you. So, so you see them, Tim, yeah. that they're like, it's crazy. It's five people in a shot and it's everyone just laying out to be like Dos Santos, who was like the, the one you had to watch yeah. wasn't getting past anybody. And it was just, yeah, one of those rare memorable experiences. Uh, and also memorable when Rafa Marquez gets sent off and, and no, we win. Amazing. No, but uh, to to kind of switch gears a little bit before we before we start to wrap up, I just wanted to to kind of talk about um, the issues facing black players because mm-hmm. coming into uh, yeah coming into your career, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of representation. You know, mm-hmm. um, what has it been like to to kind of see this? Uh, I don't want to call it a, a trend, but but this shift uh, in, in in vocal. Yeah. in players taking a stand, you know, and players speaking up uh, on these issues, um, both from the domestically, but but also internationally. You know, you look in the, the EPL sure. and you have players sure. standing up and, and here as well. Well, I think it's a sign of the times. I think, I think players, you know, I think, I think uh, women's players, I think, I think black players um, feel more empowered than they have ever been. Um, to speak out, speak up, to, to feel like their, their voices are heard. And when someone says, Hey, you, you should just go back to playing soccer. They say, no, it's not good enough. You know, our, our what we have to say is important. And I think, you know, more than, gosh, I mean, you have to go back a long way to probably the Olympics in Mexico, I believe, which was, I'm going to get it wrong, maybe 82, you know, since the civil rights movement, which we I feel like we're still in, but you know, you have to go back 50 years before athletes' voices have actually been heard at this level, and so it's good we have a long way to go. Uh, I think I think when I look at soccer in America and I look at the the gulf in class, um, you know, socioeconomic classes and and and, and races, I, I think that there's not a lot of black and brown faces in soccer stadiums across America. I don't think there's a lot of black and brown children uh, playing the game in America. And so we're, we're still falling short of that. You know, it's going to take time. We're going to have to keep, you know, banging on this drum for a long time. But I do, I do think that players feel more empowered than they ever have before to speak out and to use their voice. And that's important. It's important that, that we don't also fall into this false sense of security that, Hey, I made a stand on one thing and now that's it. You know, you, you got to keep, you got to keep pursuing uh, what what you want and, and and the desired end result of what we want, which is which is social justice. That has to continue. That's not not about a t-shirt. It's not about one campaign. It's a continuum of of these things. And so, you know, I, I like the direction it's going. I feel proud to be a part of it and to support it in, in many different ways. Um, but again, this is a long term project. Hundred uh, percent. And I think that was. 
a big thing for me, you know, coming into this period, you know, of time where it was, I think we've, we've hit waves, you know, where it's kind of, it's been on the forefront, then it kind of dies out, comes on the forefront again, dies out. Um, and this, 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 you know, I hate calling it a trend, but I think people sometimes put it, make it, want to make it a trend. You know, you want to hashtag, you want to be part of it, but it's deeper than that. You know, it's deeper than simply being a, for a couple months, we talk about the issue and then it dies out. You know, this is something that has plagued us for a, a long time, well before we were playing, well before, you know, my, my dad was, we came coming into the country, you know, this is, this is, you know, some stuff that goes far beyond. Um, but at the grassroots level, I, I always talk about opportunity um, because for me coming up, there weren't a lot of, you know, people I could look up to, you know, um, to say like, yeah, I can do that too. You know, there were a few as a handful. Um, and that's a big thing that I carry on my back today is wanting to 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 be a bigger voice for a kid who who looks up, you know, and says, I want to play football at the highest level too. You know, I, I can do that as well, you know, and I can also have a voice. You know, I can also speak my piece about it. Of course, you do it at, at, at certain times. You, you choose your moments, you know, you choose, you, you speak intellectually about things, you educate yourself on it, you know, but you also speak from from experience and from passion. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud to be a part of, you know, this this period. But again, this is, yeah, we, we got a ways to go. Uh, well, it's important that you speak up and, 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 you know, stand out and stand up because it's, look, when we look at when we look at our our urban communities and our inner cities, black and brown children want to be who they see. They don't mm-hmm. see soccer players; they see LeBron James, and they see a couple of baseball players, and they and they see some some football players. They don't see soccer players. So, uh, if they see enough soccer players and they give and they're given opportunities in those uh, urban areas, they will they will want to pursue that. They want op- they they want to pursue opportunity. They they want someone to believe in them. And so, it's, I think it's important that. Obviously, you continue to do what you do. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I have one last question yeah. because you were in you were in Colorado for a little bit. Um, I got a few boys over there. Um, you were with Kellen, Kellen Costa, yep. yeah. Okay, in that locker room, who's the best dresser? Because this this discussion has come up on many occasions. You know, Keegan's like, oh, I got the best. You know, you know the best closet, and then Kellen, you know, I got the best. Yeah. Who, who 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 had the best style in that in that locker? I room? think. Yeah, it's good. I think Keegan believes he's the best dresser, but I think, <laughs> but I think stylistically, uh, Kel, you know, Kellen's got it licked for sure. <laughs> I feel like almost believing is more powerful. You know, if you don't have anybody <laughs> into that mindset, you know what I'm saying, like, like, if Keegan thinks it, that's great. It's a strong mindset, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but uh, but listen, we, we we'll wrap things up, and we got a, a few rapid fire questions, you know, to, to yes. close it out. Um, just some some questions to get your mind going. Don't have to think deep about it, just off the top of your head. Love so, it. your favorite player of all time? Player of all time, um, Roy Keane. Your Not favorite a goalkeeper? I like hey. that. I like that. It's no good goalkeepers. You made it, yeah. You made it too. You made it too high up the uh, up the food chain to be able to like like another goalkeeper. You know, if you if you would have fallen a little bit shorter, then you might be like, yeah, you know, goalkeeper. It's a competitor, competitor. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, your favorite U.S. men's national team player, Landon Donovan. Uh, pineapple on pizza. Yes, that's a big one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing is, we got a, a public Spotify playlist. Um, that we're having all the guests uh, throw a song on to. Um, and, and when I say we have a wide range of music here, we have a wide 
range of music. We got we got Biggie, we got Mob Deep, we also got Blink One Eighty Two. From J J Demera put yeah. Blink One Eighty Two on there. <laughs> yeah, oh, of yeah, J, yeah. Uh we got uh it was a Highway to the Danger Zone, Dax, Dax threw on <laughs> threw on that one. Uh nice. Stu Stu Holden threw on Zed Clarity. So we got a wide range, trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but what are you feeling? Like what did you what would you want to throw on this playlist? Wait, before you answer though, Tim, I Mark, I gotta say, Tim, Tim was the one that uh, introduced open format to our locker rooms. Yeah. When open format became this thing, right? So you had all this, again, this is about bringing people closer together because you had people who wanted like metal and rock yeah. and alternative uh-huh. and hip hop. And open format could give you that mixtape where you're getting these new renditions and all these little mixes of every type of music. For and sure. I remember it was, uh, who, there was a uh, girl talk. And then who was the other one from, from Jersey that, that, uh, uh, DJ Chachi. Chachi, yeah, that was the one. He he used to play when I when I was playing with the Red Bulls. I was living across the street from the W. He used to play the weekend brunch party yeah, there, and I was yeah, like, yeah, "Yo, yeah, yeah, I recognize yeah. this music." And he was live mixing, and I got to see him a few years later. But yeah, this was like Bro, you know, big, blow, big time blow, era. Blow your mind, blow your yeah. mind. Yeah, um, yeah, mine's easy. Tribe Called Quest, can I kick it? That's like I'm more soccer, my my favorite group ever. So that's that's what I do. Boom. I like that. Can I kick it? That's good. That's coming off of uh, Jimmy Conrad's Gangstar work last week. So we're, we're oh, bringing no. this, we're bringing this, uh, we're bringing this mixtape back to like yeah. at least we're moving in the right direction because <laughs> you know we've got a few. Co- Kobe threw in California Love, mm-hmm. and then the young guys Tyler Adams got Roddy Rich in there. Chris Richards got T Grizzly. We've got a lot of uh, yeah. We're on a we're on a. We Brendan Aronson had thug. Drake. Yeah. Um. So we got a nice little range of music here. This is good. This pod, this playlist is getting strong, man. Appreciate it. All right, look, man. yeah, appreciate you you taking the time, and obviously, um, you know, you know, obviously, it's been it's been amazing to watch your career, both as a player, as a teammate, and now and now what you're doing in the media as well as in the professional soccer space. So we appreciate you taking time out of your day. A little disappointed, to be honest, though, Mark, because I had to go through his 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 manager to get time on. I mean, this guy used to sleep like a foot and a half next to me. You know what I mean? And uh, we're not moving nice together. I had to go. You know, he's so busy that I'm going better, through. His, uh, it's better for you if she, if she <laughs> way more efficient. Way more. Yeah. That's fair. No, we appreciate, appreciate you guys. guys. Thank you, yeah. man. No, thank you, Tim. Oh, I appreciate you. it. Man, I'm from a young guy. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. No doubt. Keep doing it. Man, oh man, that was a fun episode, Mark. Ah, well played. Well played yet again. Well played. You're doing. You're doing well. You know, like I, I can see that sort of late season fatigue perhaps coming <laughs> in. You know, it might still be that internet connection. I don't know. Your your performances are 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 especially for a, you're definitely a rookie year candidate for a podcast. <laughs> definitely. Listen, like, listen. I learned. I learned from the best. You know. So so I give you credit because I didn't give you enough credit last week. You know, I gave Jimmy a lot of you know compliments and that was a lot of that yeah, was a lot know, of compliments. So, so, so I gotta say. You know, you you you've been a great role model in this this uh, podcasting industry. You know, you you're taking me under your wing, so I appreciate you, man. You're, you're doing great at this. You may not be the fastest, but you are. Dude, I can't believe someone <laughs> threw me, threw me under the bus on that. By the way, like that. Well, I I, I like it. no one beats me for pace ever, 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 ever. Listen, ever. if this yo actually actually you you who you know who should ask. Ray Gaddis. Oh boy. Okay. They said Ray was so fast in his prime, and he tried to run me one time, and I ran him to the corner flag at Chivas, and people were like, "Oh my." Okay. Gosh. Okay. So I'll have to talk. I'm. I'm Ask pulling. Ray. I'm pulling. First, I'm pulling the video clips, and I'm talking to Ray, and then I'm coming right back yeah. to you, so that we can sort out this. Sort out yeah, whatever please. this is. This next episode. Next episode, I want you to come back with some okay. feedback. 
from okay. Ray. And I want Ray to just give you two, three bullet points on 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 me. Because he tried to he tried to hit that he tried to hit that, you know, that long touch in uh -huh. FIFA where you just get yeah. around him. I didn't even try to go in his lane. I was just like, let's run side by side. Just so you could see. Like I'm not trying to cut you off so I can't go. Let's run side by side. And I'll just hit the sprint button. You hit the sprint button. We'll see who gets there first. I got there first. And it wasn't like dribbling with the ball. Like he hit that that long touchdown. Yeah, in the so corner it was pace flag, for pace. Where it was pace just for pace. Like, yeah, step for step. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I'm gonna have to bring. We yeah. have to bring him on the pod because I need to hear this live and direct because yeah. this is, this is uh this is all slander. This is all bias. You know, I'm faster than because I tell you right now, he, your prime, my prime. Hey. First, I'm not even in my prime yet, so. You don't. Uh, you know your your pace potential. Know, your pace potential. Prime is Prime is getting Prime is getting younger and younger. You guys are putting a lot of miles on those legs as, as teenagers Let's, now. Shoot, you know bro, we got kids signing at fifteen. While, while you were while you were training twice a day, I was riding my bike around the neighborhood. You know, like you know, trying to trying to try to get some uh, gummy worms uh, from the from the Walgreens for like ninety nine cents on the weekends, or that Doritos and Pepsi. Uh, Two for one combo that you could get back then while you were out there trying to become a pro. Listen, man, <laughs> I, had way, I had a way better childhood. You get those quick carbs, you know what I'm saying? Those quick carbs, yeah, for, uh, for, for our sprints. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But that's it, man. That was a, that was a really fun episode. I completely forgot that we were still uh, recording the outro. I thought it was just you and I talking <laughs> shit to each other, <laughs> which means that's what a podcast is supposed to be. But uh, you know, as always, guys, you can find us on at Slice of Soccer across social media. Uh, we continue to grow because of you guys, because you're sharing it. We appreciate all the love. Mark, I got to say, I, I hear from people, both my mm -hmm. peers, as well as new fans of the show, both on social, direct messages, that that they're enjoying the conversations and different things and elements that we're bringing to it. So yeah, let's keep on let's keep on giving them giving them the best. No, nah, let's can. keep it rolling, man. It's been uh, it's been great so far. So uh, no need to to slow down the pace now. Yo, and by next time. You might, we'll know what your season yeah. ends as. So, you know, hopefully we'll have an update for everybody then. And until then, we'll see you guys soon. Peace.